As we come to God's Word this evening, I want to start by looking at a New Testament lesson. It comes from Matthew chapter 7. We were in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the early part of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Now, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about uh, ways of life, and in particular, two ways of life, and he has a number of different twos at the end, a number of different pairs. We're going to look at just a few of those. And I'm going to ask that you read that responsively before we get into our scripture lesson from Psalm 1. First Matthew 7, 13 through 20, we read responsively, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So just in those few verses, Jesus talks about two gates, two ways, two types of trees. And it all kind of revolves around two ways of life. For disciples. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'd invite you to turn with me also to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Now, what we're going to do over the next, uh, over the course of the summer, is we're going to look at the Psalms. And some of these Psalms I already wrote devotionals for over the last few months. And so some of these are going to just be an expansion of uh, what we've already th- considered and talked about in those devotionals. And that's the case with Psalm 1 here. So we're going to just go a little bit more deeply into that. So join me in that as we once again see uh, two ways of life. Psalm 1, beginning, the psalmist begins the Psalter hymnal of Israel, if you will, the Psalter hymnal of Israel, with this first song that talks about how to best live life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, as we come to hear God's word once again, we know you inspired the psalmist to write these words. Now again, inspire it to our lives, to know how we might apply it the way that you want us to live it out, the two ways of life and the 
the, one, the choice that we all need to make. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last months, we have been inundated with voices, authoritative voices, addressing the coronavirus pandemic, but the voices have said different things. From presidents to governors, from the CDC to infectious disease doctors, from the left to the right, contradictory voices. To mask or not to mask. To stay at home or gather as one pleases. To drop restrictions or make them stricter. Who to believe? On whose word would we stake our confidence? What pandemic lifestyle would we choose? And how would the choice affect our lives? Well, the Bible deals with a a similar issue from cover to cover, from Genesis to maps. On whose words do we stake our confidence? What lifestyle will we choose? Psalm 1 introduces the Psalter of Israel by dealing with these questions. In fact, Psalm 1 seems to be directly actually connected with Psalm 2, perhaps at one point composed together with similar words and ideas about who is blessed, how people take their stand, and especially one's way of life. Both are about two ways of life. Psalm 1 speaks to individuals, Psalm 2 more to the culture or the world, but as we'll see already in verse 1, individual lifestyle and the, and the culture of the world impact each other. Well, the psalmist begins by noting two divergent ways of life, the way of the wicked and the way of the blessed. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The word blessed, which starts out the Psalter, means to be supremely happy and fulfilled. It's kind of what our Declaration of Independence was getting at when when it talked about the inalienable rights we have, and one of those is the right to the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness, of blessedness. How do we find this? Well, not, says the psalmist, by following the world. Jesus addresses a similar thought when he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about the two gates and the two roads. And he acknowledges that the world's way is more popular. Its gate wide and its road broad and because so many people jump on the bandwagon to travel it. But Jesus counsels a less popular, narrow way which leads to life, not destruction. And again, It's really the question of the voice we listen to. Whose word we take as truth. In the Shema, which we used this morning, the Hebrew profession of faith, at the end, parents are instructed to raise their children in the Torah of God as they sit, as they walk, as they stand, as they get up. It's interesting that the psalmist uses those same words here in these first two verses. But here, those warned have apparently changed the voice that they've been listening to. They're no 
no longer listening to their parents' teaching. They're no longer listening to the Torah of God. They are now walking, standing, sitting with a different crowd. Here's where the personal and cultural, worldly ways of life intersect. It's so easy to fall in with the crowd. Perhaps they didn't start that way. Maybe they kind of fell into this life through compromise. Charles Swindoll wrote, Years ago, I recall reading of a construction of a city hall and fire station in the small northern Pennsylvania community. All the citizens were so proud of their new red brick structure, a long-awaited dream come true. Not too many weeks after moving in, however, strange things began to happen. Several doors failed to shut completely, and a few windows wouldn't slide open very easily. As time passed, ominous cracks began to appear in the walls. Within a few months, the front door couldn't be locked since the foundation had shifted, and the roof began to leak. By and by, the little building that was once a source of great civic pride had to be condemned. An intense investigation revealed that deep mining blasts several miles away caused the underground shockwaves which subsequently weakened the earth beneath this building foundation, resulting in its virtual self-destruction. Swindoll says, so it is with compromise in life. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, one rationalization leads to another, which triggers a series of equally damaging alterations in a life that had once been strong, stable, and reliable. But we don't have to listen even to stories like that. All you have to do if you want to talk about compromise or erosion is go to Lake Michigan. We were there this past week enjoying some of the sunshine and and one of the things that shocked us was the water level which had risen so much that the, that the channel between Lake Makatawa and Lake Michigan was actually up to the top and some of it even spilling over onto the ground. The, the lake levels are getting, getting higher and higher, record levels. And of course, the people that live around there didn't need that because already they're dealing with erosion. Erosion of the shoreline, even threatening some of the cottages and some of the homes to actually be eroded to the point where they fall into the lake. Well, this is a warning in verses 1 and 2 about spiritual erosion. And you know, erosion doesn't happen all at once. Houses are usually built to withstand uh, some of the flooding that goes on, not all of it, as we experienced this summer. But it's more, the erosion is more insidious. It happens a little bit at a time. And that's what the psalmist says about, about these people that have, have strayed away from the right way of life. These people begin to walk in the step of the wicked. That is, they, they begin to flirt with the wrong people. They begin to hang out with the wrong crowd. They, they begin to listen to others for advice. They start giving in to some of the worldly ways. They start to succumb to some of the worldly and cultural pressures. They begin to walk in the step of the wicked. And pretty soon, if they do this long enough, they are going to start to stand in the way sinners take. 
beginning to follow their example, participating more and more, beginning to take a different stand in life. And if they do that long enough, that eventually allow, moves them to sit in the seat of mark, mockers. This is a picture of someone getting more and more comfortable. Comfortable with the world. Comfortable with the culture. Now they've totally given in to hanging with the wrong crowd. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens subtly. Spiritual erosion. Walk, stand, sit. Well, this triad of actions begs the following questions of us. Who do we listen to? Walk in the counsel of. Who do we act like? Stand in the way of. Who do we belong to? Sit in the seat of. The blessed, say the psalmist, says the psalmist, have continued to live according to God's voice. And so they answer all three of those questions the same way. The Lord. Who do we listen to? The Lord. Who do we act like? The Lord. Who do we belong to? The Lord. They delight in meditating on his law. Now, quite frankly, law doesn't seem like something we would meditate on. I, I don't go sit out on 131 in front of a speed limit sign and just meditate on that rule in my life or, or go into a lawyer's office and pick up one of his books of legal precedents and start meditating on that. Until we remember, as we talked about the, this morning, that Torah, which is the word translated law often, literally means teaching. It's God's good teaching on the best way to live. And Joshua, before, long before the psalmist, had learned to be strong and courageous by meditating on day and night in the book of the Torah. We read in Joshua 1. Is that true of us? Or do we delight in, in God's teaching, meditate on it to keep us strong, to keep us in the right way? Then the author goes on to use a, a couple of images to illustrate what the two different ways look like. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. So the image here is pretty simple and we've talked about it before. A tree planted by the seasonal streams called wadis in the Judean desert. And if you can advance the slide to the tree. I'm having trouble with my iPad up here. A tree planted by seasonal streams in the Judean desert. These wadis are dry most of the year, getting only around two inches of rainfall. And they rely on, so they rely on the, the snow melt from Mount Hermon in the spring. They rely on the rainfall that, that comes in the hills of the central mountain range and that runs down through the wadis. And as we've noted in the past, can flood all that is in their sight. But most of the year, it's dry. That, that little 
area, that little uh, dry riverbed in front of that tree, doesn't see water much. And so the rest of the year, the trees must find their moisture elsewhere. The need to, to grow their roots deep into the, into the soil to tap the water table below the arid desert. That way they can maintain their fruit and foliage. That way, with those deep roots, they can stand, to the strong, stand up to the strong desert winds. The Jeremiah 17 passage that we read at the start of the service uses the identical image to make the same point. The one who trusts in God will find that same prosperity, green leaves and fruit. This is why the blessed way is deeply rooted in God's teaching, which gives stability. Stability with, to withstand dry times like we're living in. To weather the strong storms of life. To bear fruit in the midst of our cultural desert. And then, if we can advance to the next one, the psalmist then turns from desert to farm field. Those who stray from God are not like the water to nourish crops of the field, but they're more like the chaff. They have become rootless, weightless, empty as the chaff. The, the farmer would, would toss chaff and grain together into the air and, the, and a wind would, would blow the chaff away. The grain would fall back to the threshing floor or back uh, to the basket he's using. Chaff is blown away from the weightier grain and is destined then for the harvest-ending bonfire. So the picture, the difference in the images here, the picture is a difference between being rooted, rooted so that one can find strength and fruit, and being weightless, blown away. That which is rooted can withstand the strong desert storms. That which is weightless can hardly even stand a little breeze. And of course, then, that leads to two fates. Verses 5 and 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So that harvest-ending fire for the chaff actually becomes a picture in Jesus' parables for the eternal fires of judgment. And Psalm 1 alludes to that as well. Those who have taken their stand with the world will not be able to stand in the judgment. For them, God will be judge, justly condemning them to the path they've already chosen. But those who have been delighting in God's teaching, will find God delighting in them, watching over them, and leading them on the road that leads to eternal life. As Jesus would confirm in the New Testament, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The ultimate fate, then, of the two ways has, in essence, already been set by the decision early on 
as to which voice to listen to, whose word each person puts his trust in. And so who are we listening to? In whose word do we put our trust? There is no doubt that in some obvious ways we've been living in a desert time, certainly a time of crisis. Our lives have changed in ways that may never fully return to our previous normal. That's happened physically, certainly socially, possibly emotionally. How about spiritually? In this desert time, do our roots grow deep in God and His Word? Even in the midst of a dry season, are we withering or are we bearing fruit? If we could put up the last slide. A few years ago, we visited the home of the great Robert Frost in New Hampshire. Behind his house is a woods which which Robert Frost would wander getting inspiration for some of his poetry. We walked the path through the woods, stopping occasionally at strategically placed poems and finally coming to my favorite, The Road Not Taken. In it, Frost describes two roads discovered during a walk in the wood. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked to one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, though because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there, it warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black, Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. So at this point, he knows he can only explore one of the paths. He tells himself someday he'll travel the other, but realistically he knows that probably will never happen. He will probably never return there. But by the time we each reach the end of the poem, we realize that the poet's talking about something much more important than a Simple choice of paths in a wood. He ends with his last, his fourth stanza. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Frost is not talking about the choice of path, a path in the woods, but being at the crossroads of one's life. And choosing a road can symbolize any choice we must make between alternatives that might appear equally attractive but lead to entirely different destinations. The psalmist likewise speaks of two roads or two ways, two divergent ways of life, the way of the wicked and the way of the blessed. At the outset of Israel's songbook, he's very clear on the blessed way and its ultimate reward, but also the way of compromise and its ultimate destruction. Which way will we take? Will we find ourselves cozying up with the world or with the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your reminder right at the outset of the 
the Psalms, what's at stake in life and in the way we, we take our lives. So we pray that you might keep us strong in your word, that we might delight in it, and that you would help us to resist the world and the, the compromises that can so easily happen there, that we might resist our own sin and temptations that might take us down the wrong path. We pray that we might be able to take the road not taken by many people that leads to an eternal relationship with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we speak about ways of life, let's, let's sing to God asking that God would have his own way in us. Have thine own way, Lord. Amen.